Lord, we just thank you that you really have removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. You've removed us from our sin, never again to be counted against us. Because you have literally moved us from this realm to another realm. We have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Through the gift of the Spirit, Lord, we are now where you are, and you are where we are. We live by your righteousness. We live by your life. We live by your authority. And we speak in your authority. We teach in your authority. We teach and speak and pray in your name. Lord, thank you that we do all things in your name. Because your name has all authority in heaven and on earth. Lord, help us see now another jewel in this letter to the Hebrews this morning. And help us to see your, sm- your smiling face and your eyes and, and feel your embrace. Encourage every person here. Help us to see this awesome, awesome work that you accomplish for us. I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that thoughts would come to our mind and to our spirit of heavenly realities. Not just information, but revelation. Heavenly revelation. Help us see, Lord, for you have removed the veil by your own blood that we might see into the heavens and understand that all things have been given to us in you. Thank you, Father, that we live under an open heaven, an open heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a few thoughts. Let's look at, um, again, the letter to the Hebrews. Really enjoying going through this book and looking at different passages. I think we've covered maybe, maybe seven passages, I believe, that have been mistaught in the church. Wouldn't you say maybe six or seven that we've read and we've said, we've, it's always been said this, this means this. And we looked at it and, we, and we, we saw, wow, it doesn't mean that at all. Which is why I think a lot of... A lot of teachers and pastors say that Hebrews is a very difficult book and a hard book to read and so forth. But one reason it's a difficult book is because their premise is wrong. If you have the wrong premise, then you read this book and it just doesn't fit your premise. What I mean by that is if your premise, if your premise is that the believer is basically, as we said last Sunday, as the bumper stickers say, you know, believers aren't perfect, they're just forgiven um, if your premise is that God covers your sins every, uh, on a daily basis as you confess your sins and to stay right with God, etc., etc., if your premise is that you have to um, stay uh, in this place of cleansing by confession so you can stay in fellowship with God, and if you don't confess your sins, you're, not, you're out of fellowship with God, if that's your premise, this book really is difficult to get because, because the book has a completely different premise. The premise of this book is not a, not a covering of sin on a daily basis, which is the whole 
intent of the writer to compare the daily covering of the priesthood under Levi, under the Levitical priesthood, with the taking away of sin under the priesthood of Melchizedek. One, one sacrifice for all sin, for all people at one time. So the, the huge premise of the letter of the Hebrews is to bring the Hebrew believer or Hebrew person um, out of the law, out of the earthly realm of focusing on the shadows are copies of the heavenly things out of the realm of looking at just the, tip, the temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices of lambs and goats and priesthood with robes and all that to move them out of the visible into the invisible heavenly reality, the Mount Zion, not Sinai that Moses quaked and was fearful of, but another mountain, Zion, an invisible reality. The writer is trying to bring the, the Hebrews into this awesome work of of what Jesus did after the order of Melchizedek. So if your premise is this concept of a Christian having, um, as Luther said in era, Luther said that we are just, Christians are just dung covered by snow. We're just, we're just dung covered by snow, meaning we're given this gift of righteousness by Jesus, but inside we're just as evil as we've, we've always been. And we need to work on our heart, and we need to search out evil in our heart and, and try to get better and, and grow in holiness and sanctification, et cetera, et cetera. Hugely wrong. Hebrews talks about, in Hebrews, we're going to look at one of the verses where Hebrews actually says that um, we are actually God's house. We have become God's house, Hebrews says. So God is actually um, inhabiting us, and we him. He, we are now his house. Also, Hebrews says that he who sanctifies and he who is sanctified are one. Speaking of Christ, he who sanctifies and he who is sanctified, meaning Christ, are one. So he has already sanctified us. He has made us holy. He has made us his house. He has moved us from a, a, a physical uh, uh, picture of the heavenly things. Moses, the scripture says, was faithful in his house in doing all that God told him to do as a testimony of the things that were coming as a testimony of what was coming. But now that which was coming, the true tabernacle, Christ who said, I'll raise up my house in three days, the true priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, the true final sacrifice has come. And so if your premise when reading this book is this religious teaching or thinking that we are really, um, you know, pretty much the same just outwardly, you know, God has given us righteousness as a gift and we have to work on ourselves to be cleansed and on a daily basis, then this book is not going to make sense. Um, also, if you, if you also have the premise that you are still, and it, this, this kind of goes together, if you have the premise that the, the Christian will still face judgment, then this book doesn't make sense. Because this book is full of awesome passages that talk about judgment is over for the believer, that we pass through judgment, that, um, that he came to destroy the works of the enemy who lived in fear of death all their lives, not knowing how they're going to stand before the judgment. He who came and took my appointment. Last Sunday we talked about he took my appointment with death and judgment. It is appointed unto men once to die and then face the judgment in the same way. Next verse, in the very same way Christ also took my appointment with death. He died once and bore the sins of the many or the multitudes. He bore the sins. That's the judgment. So he took my appointment. He took your appointment with death and judgment. Because it's a true statement that every man is appointed to die and face the judgment. So you either have to make that appointment yourself and face the judgment for your sins. Which will be in that category Revelation talks about where he opens the books. And all the works of people are judged according to their works. And of course nobody makes it. Nobody is righteous enough. Or are you, though, are you one of those who have believed on this awesome Savior 
who took your appointment with death on the cross, for we were crucified with Christ, and your judgment for all our sins were laid upon him. For Christ, God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore. If you have believed on him, then you're in another book, the book of life. And in that book, there's only names. There's not a, a bunch of deeds and how good you are and how great you are. Just names. Because you're a son or a daughter and an heir of Christ and of God. All things. Because he is everything. So anyway, anyway that's, that's the good news. And this book is, is awesome to move us from the natural to the physical to the, to the uh, temp- temporary to the eternal, the, the, the invisible and the reality. So let me share some... Let, let me... Um, let, real quick, let's go back to that. I've made a reference to how Hebrews says we are his house. Just take a look at this. This is so cool in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, holy brethren, chapter 3, verse 1 in Hebrews. Wherefore, holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling. See, this writer, is, he's all about the heavenlies. He's not about the earthly. The old covenant was about the earthly. He talked about how the sacrifices were sufficient under God's system to cleanse the natural, the flesh, because that was a temporary thing to teach us of the good thing that was coming, but there were mere shadows of the good thing. So this writer is all about the heavenly, to bring us into the heavenly reality. I saw, uh, I think it was a book or something that someone wrote, and it said, uh, let us pray from the heavenlies. See, so many believers pray from the earthlies. And they try to get to the heavenlies. We have teaching out there that says, you know, you have to pray through that brass ceiling. You have to make sure all your sins are confessed up to date. Make sure everything is, you're obedient and everything so you can get to, get to the heavens, so you can get into the presence of God. No, we are in the heavenlies, not by our piety or our holiness or our obedience. We are in the heavenlies, in Him, because of His obedience, because of His authority. And we rest in his reality and pray from the heavenlies. No matter what the need, we go boldly to a throne of grace. No, no ceiling of brass. No veil to cut. We go boldly to the throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. So it's, it's so, it, this is so cool. The heavenly focus of this letter is amazing. Okay, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Verse 3, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, speaking of Jesus, more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who has built the house has more honor than the house. This is so cool. He's trying to turn his Jewish brothers away from Moses' worship. He says, look, this man, this man, this Christ, this son of God has more glory than Moses. And then he says here, verse 4, for every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. I've often thought that would be a great verse to put on a plaque and give to a contractor or a builder. You know, have it in his office. You know, it'd be cool. Verse four, I love that. For every house is built by someone, but he that built all things is God. That'd be cool. Right there on the contractor's wall, you know. Um, verse five, and Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son, not as a servant, but as a son, over his own house. Whose house are we? Verse 6. Whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope 
firm until the end. So here the scripture is actually saying that we are his house. The Hebrews saying we, are, we have become his house. And the point I want to bring up is verse 3 where it says, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house has more honor than the house. Just a quick word about this. He who built the house has more honor than the house. I love uh, a lot of stuff that Gene Edwards writes. I just want to say a few words because I know most of you guys are familiar with Gene Edwards and his books and so forth. One of his favorite books, I think, is um, the, uh, what's the one about the Divine Romance? The Divine Romance, great book about um, the love of, of Christ himself for his bride. And he's got some awesome stuff in his book. But one of the things about Gene Edwards that I, that I think is off, and just be aware of it, um, I think he puts too much emphasis on the house, the church, instead of the builder of the house. Um, there's, you've got to be not, you, you, we've got to be careful that the, the, the center of everything is not the church. The center of everything is not the bride. It's the bridegroom. And, and I know that sounds obvious, but some things I've picked up in his books and some of his meetings I've been to in the past years, um, it's been really so much about the church, the church, the church, the church, the church, the church, the church. So just remember that, that the builder of the house has greater honor than the house. And what happens if you lose your focus on Christ being central, then you get off into um, weirdness. You get off into a focus on people, behavior, whatever. Um, he also has, I think, a wrong thinking about the cross and, in terms of carrying our cross and suffering and things like that. And I think that's part of the fruit of that focusing on the church as opposed to Christ himself. Just a little footnote there, just to be aware. I like a lot of his stuff. He's done a lot of good things in a lot of his books, Gene Edwards. But his focus too much on the church and not on the builder of the, of the church, the Christ himself, I think can be a trap. And just got to be careful of that stuff. Okay. Then he says, oh yeah, then I want to switch to, uh, let's go to Hebrews Chapter, chapter 11, please. There's a verse here that I think answers a lot of questions about the old saints and, and, um, and us now under the new covenant. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 39. Now, this, this comes at the very end of this long list. We know Hebrews 11 talks about all these believers, all these people under the old covenant that walked in faith and lived by faith. And then at the very end of this list of incredible acts of faith and living by faith, the writer says this in verse 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Receive not the promise. Verse 40. God having provided some better thing for us. That's for you. That they, old covenant saints, without us, new covenant saints, should not be complete or perfect. Now, that's an awesome statement. Abraham, you mean Abraham, Moses, all these Jacob, the list here goes on and on, Rahab, David, Barak, Samson, 
all these credible people of faith did not receive the promise. What is he talking about? All right, let's look back. This is so cool. What's exciting is that he's saying that you did receive it. You have it. You have it. They didn't have it. You have it. That they would not be complete without us. Okay, let's look at this and look at verse 11. Verse 11 By faith, verse 8, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned, sojourned or journeyed in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with, whom, with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for a city. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Speaking of Isaac, the miraculous birth of Isaac. By the way, every time you see a Jewish person on earth, that person is a miracle. A complete miracle because Isaac, every Jewish person comes from Isaac. Isaac was not supposed to be. He, see, Sarah was beyond the age of giving birth. So every time you see a Jew, it's a testimony to the resurrection power of God. Every time you see a Jew, they should not exist. They would not exist without Isaac. Isn't that awesome? The, the miraculous birth of Isaac from Sarah, who was too old to have children, 90 years old. Too old to have children. By God's own hand, bringing forth life, which is a picture of, of Christ, the life of Christ, began the nation of Israel. From Isaac was Jacob. From Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, and then the nation of Israel. It's just something to consider. It's so cool. It's a testimony to the power of God every time you see a Jew. It's awesome. Okay. And then he, goes, he says here, Verse 12, therefore, oh, you read that? Okay, from Isaac, multitudes of the Jewish people came as the stars in the sky. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. There it is again. They died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. A country. Remember what I said a while back that one of the, the keys to understanding what the kingdom is is to think about it as a country. Remember me saying that? That is so key. That's what God has shown me. The kingdom of heaven is like a country. It's a place. It's a place. God has prepared a place for us. He said of Israel, I have prepared a place for you, a land filled with milk and honey as a picture Of the heavenly country. Just a picture of the heavenly country. Not the real heavenly country. The real heavenly country is a place. And Jesus, when when Jesus came and said, change your mind, change your way of thinking. For this country you seek that Abraham sought is now within reach. It's at hand. 
You see, when he came, his message was not... See, repent, like Clark says, repent means simply to change your mind. It doesn't mean to stop sinning and be sorry for your sin and all this stuff. And when you see Jesus saying, change your mind, it's, it's in reference to the next thing he says. See, we skip over in a religious way and think, oh, you must be talking about sin. The word repent obviously means sin. Something about sin. Yeah, you... No. Just like Clark said, we should start all talking differently and saying stuff like, you know, let's... Instead of going to Olive Garden, we repented and went to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. We changed our mind. That's all it means. Instead of going to this college, I repented and I'm going to this other college. I just changed my mind. It's not a religious word. It just means to change your mind. The original Greek. And I love the way Clark brought out that in the Latin... It has all this other meaning, which does not come from the original Greek. So they went from Greek to Latin to English, and we got it screwed up. And now it's just a religious word that, talks, that we always have a connotation with sin about it, but it really means just to change your mind. That's why it, it, the religious definition of repentance doesn't work when you put it in the scriptures that talk about God repenting. God repented. He was going to destroy Nineveh, and he says God repented. He changed his mind. So... It's so cool to see that, okay, so when Jesus came on the scene, the very first message was, change your mind. Now, that change your mind is in reference to the next thing he says. You don't jump off into thinking about sin or some other thought. It's in reference to what he's in the same sentence. So he's saying here, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach. What he's saying is that they were thinking that the kingdom of heaven was not at hand or not within reach. They had been taught that somewhere in the by and, sweet by and by, somewhere in the future, God's going to bring the kingdom. God's going to bring the realm of God. God's going to bring heaven. We're going to be able to go to heaven sometime in the future. See, the, the cataclysmic message he was giving was this. Change your mind about thinking about the kingdom of heaven as being something far away in time or space. Time in the future or, in, or space in proximity. Change your mind thinking that the kingdom of heaven is something far away in the future or far away in space. That way up somewhere. It's within reach. Right here. Right here. He was bringing the reality of the country that Abraham sought but did not receive. The country was coming. But it did not come like men think, he said. This country shall be within them. This realm, this realm shall be within them. See, the country that Abraham sought and that all these believers sought in the Old Testament and did not receive the promise of the country, did not receive the promise. They all died and descended to Sheol. They did not ascend to heaven. Remember we said no man had ever ascended into heaven? We didn't say that. Jesus said that. Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, said, No man has ever ascended into heaven but the Son of Man who has descended from heaven. So no man, not even Elijah that was taken up in a whirlwind, he was taken to Sheol. Not even Enoch who was, who was not because God was with him, he was taken to Sheol. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He says, no man, no man has ever ascended into heaven except the Son of Man who has descended from heaven. Why is that? Because the sacrifice had to be offered on the earth. The blood had to be shed. So Christ came to offer himself, the, the, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, to offer the final sacrifice for all sin, for all time, so then the Spirit could be given. It is the gift of the Spirit that brings the country. The kingdom is in the Spirit. It's in the realm. Do you see that? They did not have the Spirit. Abraham, David, 
They did not have the Spirit. They were not born again. They were not, that's why they descended when they died. You realize that every person that died and descended to Sheol died without eternal life? They did not have eternal life. Eternal life is in the Spirit. The Spirit is what gives you life, eternal life. They died without eternal life. Jesus was also the only man that ever descended with eternal life. He was the only man that descended into Sheol with eternal life. And he gave that life to them. And they, were all, they all became, after him being the firstborn, they all became instantly born of him when the, the life was given to all of them because the work was accomplished on earth. Isn't that awesome? And they, then they passed through the realm. Remember the scene, remember the, the Gospels where Jesus ascended? And then after he ascended, after, I mean, after he was raised from the dead, after three days, after he's the first one, after, then some of those saints from Sheol came up, now with eternal life, came up into the earthly realm to their relatives, to their neighbors, and said, He has released us. He has done it. We have received the promise of the fathers. And they would disappear. Now these are our clouds of witnesses, Hebrews says. These are the clouds of witnesses that testify to us. We have now what you have. Be strong in the faith. We now have what you have. We have eternal life just like you have, abiding in you. But you're on the earth with it. It's awesome. You see that? We are his house, Hebrews says. We have become his house. We have become sanctified. We have been joined to him. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. He in us, we in him. What the old saints did not have, that they would not be perfect without you has now come to pass. The country is now within you. The realm. What is that? What is that? What are we talking about? Let's go look at this real quick. Isn't this awesome? I mean, it's, it's so cool. The, Paul, Paul was, he was beside himself trying to tell the saints this. You know, this is the promise of the ages that you're in heaven. Heaven has come to you. Heaven is in your bosom. It's the, it's the promise of the ages. And you'll see it visibly. One day you'll see it visibly when, when this body is redeemed. When this, when this body is put off, you'll see it. You won't no longer walk by faith, but by sight. But you have this now. In fact, Jesus himself said, the Holy Spirit will come and reveal to you all that belongs to me, Jesus said, and now belongs to you because you're in me. All that belongs to the Son belongs to you. His heaven is your heaven. His Father is your Father. His God is your God. His righteousness is your righteousness. His wisdom is your wisdom. His holiness is your holiness. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, branch on a vine, one with him. It's an awesome reality. The love of the Father towards you in the same way toward the Son. John 17. For the Father loves you even as he loves me. This is what Abraham yearned for. This is what the saints yearned for. They have, they, they have it now, but, and they have it in heaven. But you have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to experience on earth and boast in our God and enjoy heaven on earth. As a witness. See, we are witnesses of the kingdom. Witnesses of this heaven that is within. And what is this heaven within? What is this heaven? Yes, in the world we shall surely have tribulation and hard times and suffering because we're in a fallen world. But we can be of good cheer for he has overcome this world. He has literally translated me out of this world. I'm now no longer of this world but from above and not from below. I'm actually, God is now my papa. I'm actually living every day on earth as if I had never sinned and never will sin. I have the very favor of the son of God because I am in him and he is in me. Not based on my obedience or my performance. I live in this favor all the time because it is not me. It is him who has become one with me by his own gift, by his own mercy, by his own love, by his own awesome work. It's awesome. We have the same blue sky that he has. It's just within us. 
We just can't see with our eyes yet. We see you through a glass darkly. But the moment we leave our bodies, we, sh- we shall know all things as we are known instantly. See, what's the difference? You leave your body. When you leave your body, you leave the brain, you leave this earthly creation. Then you can receive fully. It's a, it's a complete download and instantly. Boom. Of everything. We, the moment you leave your body, you shall know all things even as you are known by God. So what's the hindrance? The body. We see it through a glass darkly now through these brains, through the, this creation, the spirits renewing our minds as we are able to receive it. But through these bodies, it's not fully clear. That's why we walk by faith. That's why we encourage each other in the truth. That's why the mind is being renewed. And the more you see, the more you go, oh my God. And then, you know, the, then the manifestation comes. The manifestation of this life, of, the, of this eternal life. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the life of God. Love and joy, peace, patience. All those things begin to come forth because it's not you doing it. It's His fruit from His life. And we are a testimony of the, of the God who lives within. Awesome. Okay, so Abraham yearned to see this. Look at this in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. See, that's why Paul says we are really strangers and pilgrims on the earth now, big time, because we have actually stepped into the, the country where they were yearning for the country. For they that say that such things declare plainly they seek a country. Verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to, to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, see? It's a heavenly country. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the spiritual. It's spiritual. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, that he had received the promises offered by his only son, of whom it is said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Okay, and then he goes down to this list of of, uh, the different people of faith. But they seek this heavenly country. Now, in closing, let's take a look at this real quick. Look at chapter 12, please. Chapter 12, Hebrews, we'll wrap it up here. Verse 18, chapter 12, verse 18. For you, you, you and I, have, we have not come into the mount that might be touched. Say touched means it's of this realm, that you can touch it in the physical. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest. He's talking about Mount Sinai here. This is Mount Sinai when the covenant of law was cut. Verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice that they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. I love that. There's, there's, a, there's a verse in Revelation that talks about the trumpets of God, the sound of God. It's, it's like when you... Uh, what was happening, I believe, saints, is that God was breaking into our physical realm, into the created realm. He was allowing natural men to see with their natural eyes his glory as much as possible. And they saw at, on the top of Sinai, it was like a, a, an engulfing, a fire engulfing itself. As he broke into our realm, the trumpet, the sound, the sound barrier broke. It was like a, there was like this sound like that. It was like, <laughs> like that. And it, and it got louder and louder. And louder. Thanks, God. Um, and it got, it got louder and louder. What happened is that it just goes, it got so loud. See, as his presence broke into the created realm, they were like, 
That's how powerful this was. This was uncreated light breaking into the creation, saints. This, this is, that's why they fear. Look, this is, this is, this is unbelievable. We, we missed this, the scene. Read the words here. It's amazing. Look at this. Verse, um, let's see, verse, uh, yeah, verse, well, let's go back. Verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice that they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust down with the dark. In other words, if anything God said, don't let any, any animal touch the mountain. They, they must die if they touch the mountain because I am touching earth. As, it's like we stood on the moon with our feet. God came on earth. The whole mountain became holy. The whole mountain became sanctified, set apart. God was on that mountain. If it, even a ma- an animal touched that mountain, they'd have to be killed instantly. Nothing impure could touch that mountain. God says, I'm coming down. Tell them to back off, back, back, get back, way back. Tell the animals to get away. Because he loves animals. He loves animals. He says, back, tell them all to get back. Tell them all to get back. God's coming. And so, so only the one that God chose to come up could come up, and that was Moses. All right, look at this. This is so cool. He goes, he comes up, he goes, and looks verse 21. And so terrible was the sight so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I, I, even Moses, who knew God intimately, he says, I exceedingly fear and quake. See, Moses was fearful and quaking at this. This is awesome. This is awesome God coming down. This is awesome. This is your daddy. You can run into his lap now. He's always been the same daddy, but you couldn't do it until he took away our sin. You see? He, could, he was the same daddy back then, but... No, no, tell them back up. They don't understand. This is, this is uncreated light. This is, this, is, this is eternal. This is he who has no beginning, no end. This is the everlaster, the everlasting from everlasting. This, tell, you know, breaking to our, 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 our realm. That's why the Jews are so special to people. They're the only people on earth that were given the right to see God visibly in that distant on top of Sinai. Awesome. Okay. Now Moses, notice when Moses was called up. Moses called up. He didn't see a, an engulf, a fire engulfing itself. He saw a beautiful mist, the scripture says. So Moses walked into this beautiful mist, like a spa, a beautiful, refreshing mist. Israel, at the bottom of the mountain, they saw the same mist as fire engulfing itself, and they saw Moses walking into the fire. But they didn't see God as Moses saw God. They saw his acts. Moses knew his ways. And Moses called him up as a friend. See? Okay, look at this. And we'll wrap it up right here. But you, you have not come to that mountain. That's the point. The writer says, you have not come to that mountain of fear and quaking and something that is of this realm. Verse 22. You have come unto Mount Zion, another mountain. This is a heavenly mountain. Unto the city. You have come unto the city. Not one day. You have come to the city. In the spirit, we are in the city now. The country is within you now. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Angels are your servants now, Hebrew says. They're servants of the heirs of righteousness. They're your servants now. You can ask God to send angels to help you and help others. They're the servants, the scripture says in Hebrews, are the heir, to the heirs of salvation, which are you, the sons and daughters of God. Know you not, you shall judge angels, Paul says. Verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, these, these that came out of Sheol, firstborn, and to all those now, from now on who believe on him, who go for, absent from the body, present with the Lord, no longer going to Sheol, which are written in heaven, that's the, the Lamb's book of life, 
which are written in heaven, and to God himself, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men are justified men made perfect. Perfect. And to Jesus himself, the mediator of this new awesome covenant, to the blood of sprinkling, that speaks better things than that of Abel. For Abel's blood, when he was killed by Cain, his blood cried out for vengeance and cried out for justice. But this blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel, for the blood of Christ cries out for mercy and for grace. Speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So this is, this is where we are. This is Mount Zion. This is the city. This is the realm. This is the country that's within us now. And this is what this writer is trying to get us to see, this invisible reality. As he says of Moses, Moses endured, Hebrews chapter 11, Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's what the writer is trying to get us to see and experience. So this book is, it is a difficult book if your premise is wrong. If you're earthly minded, if you mind earthly things and not heavenly things. If you see sin as being covered and not taken away. It's an impossible book, but you get the premise right and the book opens up. Lord, thank you so much for the reality of the country, heaven's country within us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this awesome work. We bless you, Lord. We bless you. Amen.